Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Men of Ann Arbor podcast brought to you by the good people at New Amendment. I am one of your hosts, Stuart Douglas, alongside me, as always, Nick Stauskas. Nick, what's going on, man? Not much. Another week of uh, Michigan hoops. Another, should I say, subpar week or I guess neutral week. But uh, I'm looking forward to breaking it down with you. What's what's new with you, my guy? Not much, dude. I was thinking you're going to the Michigan State game, right? At home? Yes. I, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Yeah. It's going to be my first time back at Chrysler. I think Novak's going. I think a lot of guys are going. I think your 13 team, a lot of the guys from 13 team are going, right? They're, I think they're trying, they're at halftime going to honor the, uh, I guess, 10 year reunion of the, of the final four team. Um, so yeah, we're hoping that as many guys that can make it and, you know, we hope everyone makes it back, but obviously everyone's got their own schedules and, you know, some guys still playing and whatnot. So, um, we're hoping for a good turnout, but either way, I'm, I'm excited to get back to Ann Arbor because it's not often that, you know, we all get to go back and you know, no. to catch a live game too. I think the only time I've been back for a live game since I left was my, my rookie year in Sacramento. I came back during all-star break and I watched them play Michigan state around the same time. So, um, that's a hell I'm of a time forward to, to come it, man. back. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Still, that's a great time to come back. You're in the NBA. You still got some of the influence left on campus. I mean, that that probably was a great Skeeps encounter. I would imagine. No, tell me you went to Skeeps. Yeah, oh, great Skeeps. Yeah, that's what and, I'm excited. Um, that's what's my excitement I, is to get back to Skeeps. Yeah, probably the first time. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, it's probably the first time that I was actually of age when I was in Skeeps. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there's stories there for sure. But uh, yeah, dude, I'm excited for that. I don't know, because I was thinking, you know, when are we going to do this in person, you and me? And I don't know if we'd have time before then. But we could. We could figure something out. It's going to be a hectic weekend probably, but we got to figure out sometime. But yeah, that, that weekend will be fun. I imagine it'll be packed, even with no matter what happens with this team and the record. But uh yeah, like celebrating that 13 team, I think people will be really excited about. Yeah. I would imagine that if we attempted to do a podcast during our time there, that we would maybe be slurring our words just a tiny bit. Well, it have to be like, yeah, 9 a.m. before Novak brings out the screwdrivers <laughs> or Bloody Marys. Yeah, Ernest says he's oh. down. So we could, I mean, what's what's wrong with like a boozy brunch podcast episode? I really, do, I wouldn't mind it. No, it, it would uh, it would definitely have a different feel to it doing it in Ann Arbor. Um, so maybe that's something that we consider once once we kind of have a better idea of what the schedule is going to look like for that weekend. Maybe we can uh, line something up. Yeah, before we, I got a question for you because I was just thinking about this. Like your your connection and my connection to the program, like it's mine was not great after I graduated. Like the 2013 national championship game, I couldn't watch. I was too bitter. Like, bro, I had a lot of things, and then I wasn't a part of it, blah, 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 blah. But now I've become more and more and more of a fan and want to support and want to support um, the players, you know, as much as we'll, you know, probably rip on them a little bit today. But I'm curious with you, like, has it stayed the same for you the entire time? Has it grown? Has it diminished? Like, what, what's been your feelings on that? Because I've, I've kind of chronicled mine throughout the years, but I'm curious with you. I would say up until – you and I started doing this podcast, you know, this, this gave me kind of an excuse to go in and watch the games every week and pay attention to what's going on. 
But when Coach Beeline left and, you know, the whole coaching staff kind of got cleared out and whatnot, I think that's when I stopped feeling a connection to the team because from the time that I was there, really the only dude in the entire program that's left there is the strength coach, John Sanderson, who I'm still I, I'm still very close with him. And Blue, don't forget Blue. I, oh, okay, okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean Bob, the equipment manager, but – I mean, in terms of people that were, you know, coaching the team, you know, directly involved in the outcomes of, of each game, there's, you know, when, when everyone leaves and again, the turnover rate of the players is changing every four years, you have a completely new team. It's, it's hard to feel connected to a group. You know, obviously it's still Michigan at the end of the day and that's, that's what brings that connection. But I would say once Coach Beeline left, that's when I felt things changed for me in terms of not feeling as connected. But again, that's why I'm glad we got to do this podcast together because I'm, I, have, I have a renewed excitement for watching Michigan basketball, although they're not, I don't, they're not great. They're not great. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's, uh, but you can still be a fan and stay connected otherwise. Um, have you met Juwan? Have you gone back into, like, meet the coaching staff in the last few years? I have not been back the last couple of years to meet the team specifically, but Juwan, Juwan was coaching um, for the Heat, you know, my first couple of years right. in the league. So I didn't know him at all, but just having the Michigan connection, I felt like he always would go out of his way to say hi to me, you know, even if it was in the middle of uh, even if it was in the middle of a timeout or a game or whatever, he'd be like, hey, what up, Nick? And uh, so that was nice. You know, I always felt like he was, you know, very approachable, very easy to talk to. Um, but I have not been back to kind of interact with him or the coaching staff since um, since he took over. So this will this will be my first time in February. Yeah. I mean, February is not the greatest time to, like, go meet with the coaching staff because there's going to be so many alum. It's alum weekend. I really want to go back in the yeah. summer. And get in, like, go back to the practice facility, get in some shots, work out in the weight room with Sandman and meet the coaching staff and, like, talk with them. But, like, the alum weekend will be a little hectic. But all in all, it'll be a good time. I'm sure we're going to have, honestly, way too good of a time. But uh, we'll have to recap it when that time comes. But last last week, it's been uh, up and down for Michigan. A lot of bubble talk, a lot of, a lot of negative takes. It's not been super great. Um, so let's get into the X's and O's right now. So, lost to Maryland. I even tweeted it, and I knew it was a mistake. Uh, the spread was – I don't remember what the spread was. Like, four? Yeah, it was four in Maryland's favor. Minus four, Maryland, minus four. And I was like, yeah, I don't like that spread at all. And then I, I ate my words. Now, Maryland only won by six, but they basically controlled the entire game. And then Minnesota, the team, just, again, did not look sharp, did not look super great. Um, it was uh, – this is probably the lowest I felt on these guys – all year because we're getting now to the point where all right you it's there's no longer moral victories that's it like you either win or you don't and we're getting down to it where if you lose a couple more games you pretty much kiss it goodbye um that minnesota game i mean if they would you could always do if could have should have would have whatever but if they would have lost that game now i mean that would basically be it um because you're it's getting harder and harder to find good wins in the big 10 but I don't know, man. I, I'm trying to stay positive. This team still has a chance. There's still light at the end of the tunnel. But this is about the lowest I've been all year with all of this. 
yeah, again, they've, they've struggled, they've struggled on the road. And, and even yeah. though, um, for me, the loss against central Michigan felt like a low point for me, but again, they turned it around, um, the next couple of games after that and showed this kind of resurgence of energy that had us feeling, you know, glass half full, super positive about the season, but week after week now, you know, they have, they win one, they lose one. They have spurts of being great spurts of being absolutely terrible. And so it leaves us in this place where we're hopeful that we're going to see something new every week. But again, it's come that time of year, you know, the month of January is about to end and this team doesn't have one quality win that they can really hold on their resume come tournament time. That's going to mean anything. They don't, they don't really win on the road. So, you know, it's it's tough to look at this team and say, wow, yeah, they're they're a contender. But then again, you know, with the standings in the Big Ten the way they are right now, it's you know, it's it feels like anyone has a chance. Um, so again, I, I'm I'm moving to I'm moving to a, a glass half full situation with this team, just because again, this the games like you know the Maryland game, it just it, it sucks the energy out of me as a fan, where I'm like, ah, I don't know if. I don't know if they have what it takes to be a consistently good basketball team at this point. Yeah, and to that point, like, the Big Ten's not super great, so they have a lot of opportunities left to still have, like, a good record at the end of the season, get close to 20 wins or at 20 wins, and then get in the bubble. Um, However they decide that, you know, it's always been kind of a guessing game with certain things. But – the Maryland, it's just the the repetitive mistakes, and not like not like turning the ball over, trying to be aggressive. Maryland specifically, this is my biggest takeaway from the entire game. Maryland shoots thirty one percent from three, and I don't even think they shot well that mm-hmm. game. And the amount of straight line drives to the basket and layups, Jameer Young was just living in the paint whenever he wanted to get there. It's I don't know to make it simple. It's just unacceptable. Like it's, it's, it goes beyond game plan. It should be just the given, right? Like, all right, these guys can't shoot. I need to be an extra help side and they got to prove to us so they can shoot today. I mean, that's what happened in the first game, right? They blew them out. Maryland, they just let them shoot open threes. I mean, it wasn't great defense They're wide open threes. Yeah. Ernest, thank you. Maryland shot 20% from three in that game and still was controlling the game by getting into the paint. Doesn't make any sense. Now this is, it goes both ways, right? Like a straight line drive, B-Line would always say, if you're going to give up a straight line drive, then you can kiss help side goodbye. Don't, don't look at a teammate for help because that's right. way too much. you got to guard your yard. Like B.A. said, Kari Alexander said, guard your yard, which is three feet to the right, three feet to the left. you got to at least make them hesitate one way or another. And Jameer was just getting straight in there. Ball screen, same thing. Defense wasn't great, just getting in there. And I don't think he had like the most efficient game, but he came out for blood. He didn't have a good first game. And – I don't know. There was no adjustment there. It was just like deep in the second half, they were still getting these things. So I don't know. I don't know where to turn with answers on that, but it's got to, I mean, a lot of that is up to whoever's in front of Jameer Young, right? Like it's up to Doug, it's up to Kobe. You know, there's only so much Juwan can do from the sidelines. Um, Not to say that those guys didn't have good defensive plays, but there's just a, there's a, like a cohesiveness loss. Um, yeah, like, I mean, like the blueprint should be there, but it's like not remembered, right? Like the blueprint is make Maryland shoot and then 
oh yeah, here's a Jameer Young layup with five minutes left in the second half in the game. So stuff like that where, I mean, it's just you just can't have it. It's just completely unacceptable. I no, I agree. And and also offensively, I, I feel like Michigan struggled when um, you know, they threw that two three zone at them. And one of those things watching where it's like every I feel like every time this Michigan team plays against a zone, they just they act like they have no clue how to, you know, get quality shots. Um, you know, it 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 felt like every single time they're kind of passing, you know, there's no ball and player movement. It's stagnant against a zone defense. So you're not making yeah. any of their players work. You, you know, it's hard to throw the ball into the post against a zone defense. And then, you know, Michigan on their end, they I, they went eight for 28 from three. So, you know, it's not like they were making, you know, Maryland pay by any means by going into that zone. Um, so for me, that that two, three zone was kind of, it felt like a little bit of a game changer for me. But, you know, going to your point too, like something that didn't sit well with me that I definitely want to address after that game was, was the Doug McDaniel tweet. Um, and I'll read it here. And he says, I was just a fan favorite a couple of days ago. I have a bad game. Now I'm terrible. Need to be benched. The worst player, et cetera. Great yep. fan base we have for sure. LOL. Make sure y'all come out and support on Sunday. We back at it. Go blue. All right. Now he ends it on a positive note. Like, you know, come out, support, go blue. But like, dude, you, I mean, for example, Jameer, Jameer Young, um, you know, he has he has 26 on you. And and offensively, Doug did not have a good game. Turned the ball over, you know, just was kind of tentative all game. And as a point guard, as a leader against a zone, you need to be the guy that's initiating offense and getting your guys the looks, organize your group. To me, having a loss like that and then going on Twitter and tweeting great fan base, uh, you know, all that that just does not sit well with me at all. Michigan has as loyal and as loving of a fan base as I have ever seen. And it just, it seems like a pity party to me. And it's part of the, for me, a part of the problem with this generation coming up is everyone expects only good things to be said about them at all times. Like, dude, this is college sports. You're, you're on a national stage now. So if you're not ready to be picked apart, when you have bad games or when you lose games that you're supposed to win, then don't play because that's what comes, that's what comes with it. And, or, you know, if it's going to cause you to get upset or lose focus, whatever, then delete your social media and lock in because, you know, going back to our 2013 team, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but like we, we did a social media ban heading into the tournament because we felt like there was too much negativity coming at us after we lost to Penn state on the road. And again, same kind of things were coming at us. But instead of tweeting about it and saying, oh, you guys are wor the worst fans ever and like you guys should be supporting us more. No, we, we, we got off social media, we locked in and we were like, this, this is what we're going to do to prove you guys wrong or to, you know, to start winning games. And we did it. And I, again, it just, that just did not sit well with me at all. And it, to me, it also shows that that whole you know team meeting that they had after the Central Michigan game, you know of guys being honest with each other and this and that, I think that's completely you know thrown out the window now. It's completely bogus because these guys are still in their feelings. They're still butt hurt when something you know goes wrong, and it's like 
grow up, man. Grow up and pay attention to what you have to do to, to, to win basketball games. Don't look for someone to come help you or for someone to support you. Like this is, this is high level of sports here. You need to, you need to figure out yourself. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he, right. There was no, not too many expectations on him. Jalen was a point guard. And then he blows up in his first start against Minnesota and he's been playing really well and there's not been too many expectations. And now, you know, when you get towards the end of the year, the fan base starts getting tense and then they're going to start projecting that onto you. I think he's just got to learn, like, this is his first real experience with this kind of feedback. And he's going to learn that it's not the fan base. It's a few guys that, you know, the squeaky squeaky wheel always gets the oil. Mm-hmm. Whoever's loudest always gets heard, right? Like, he's going to learn to forget about this or you hope. I mean, KD still does it, right? Like <laughs> KD still still loves the the petty parties, which, you know, he's fine with it. Like he's like, yeah, like, I'll just be petty and I'll move on. So it just depends how you can internalize it and compartmentalize it. But yeah, he did, you know, that was his first experience with some with some shitty tweets. We've experienced it. And I, I love to embrace it, but I was a junior and senior by the time I got Twitter and was really into it and getting shit talk from fans on Twitter about it. Um, but I mean, you know, he's 18 and he's been playing really well. And people are excited about him. And now all of a sudden, like, you know, he's not the hot commodity like he was for some fans, even though he still is. Like, people are still excited about Doug. It's just now there's some louder critics and it hurts, man. I mean, that stuff will hurt. That's why, like, a social media ban is good at times. Because, you know, especially with the team like your that 13 team was getting from all over, from all across the country, you guys were getting tweets and articles, whatever the case may be. So he's got to learn if he can't deal with it, get rid of it, but also like learn to compartmentalize it. And those people don't matter. Like when I I had a lot of fun with that. I'm, I'm curious what your experience is, but I'm going to be self-centered and jump straight into mine. I'd get fans that tweet at me, right? Probably some liquid courage at the end of games. You know, it's about, you know, I guess some tweets about 1, 2 a.m. And so I respond. I respond to basically all of them. And there would either be no response. Some some guys still talking shit afterwards. Uh, but a lot of them would just back down. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it was just blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, yeah. Like, these guys know no- nothing about basketball. They know nothing about your situation. They know nothing about you. They know nothing about what it's like to experience the ups and downs. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm my worst critic. I don't need you criticizing me. And yeah, they just want attention. And so you got to learn that their opinion isn't important. You can still engage them. I'm fine with engaging them as long as you're not, it's not making your heart race and you're not getting angry and then taking it out and, and you know, trying to do too much out on the court and forgetting what your job is. I think he'll learn. Like, um, you know, if it continues, sure. But, you know, as an 18 year old kid at Michigan, like in the, in a world that's even more social media heavy than we were in, you know, I'm going to, I'll, I'll give him, like I said, like five times already, the, the benefit of the doubt there. I think he'll be all right. He'll figure it out. Um, but it's just kind of how you deal with it from here on out. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a personal thing, right? Like I, how did you deal with that stuff? Cause I'm sure you got tweets. All, you got even more tweets, good and bad. How did you yeah. deal, deal with that on Twitter and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like I dealt with it pretty well until, and I'll say this, same kind of thing happened to me when I got traded to the Sixers hmm. after my rookie year. 
Now, keep in mind, Philly fans, if you don't know Philly fans, like they, they, are, they might be the best or worst fans in the entire world. Yeah, it just depends on who you ask. They're still probably listening. Depends on, depends on who you ask. But I, I no longer have Twitter because of Philly fans. And it was my first year in Philly. Yeah. I was going through the same thing. I was going through the same thing where every, we were we were 10 and 72, Stu. 10 and 72. We were bad. We were really, really bad. And again, yeah. I'm not sitting there, I'm not sitting there expecting for people to show me love when we're 10 and 72. So I knew it was gonna come, but it came so strong and so frequently from all this, all this hate from all the fans. That I was like, man, I'm done. Like, I'm done with it. I, I don't need Twitter anymore. Now, I'm I'm on Instagram still, but even like last year, last year when I was in the G League, trying to work my way back to the NBA, I deleted my Instagram for a full year because I was like, mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm getting myself back to the league, and I, I don't care what. After every game, I'm not checking social media to see what people say about me. I'm not. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm locking in this year, and I'm I'm chasing my goals. And it worked for me last year. I was off of I was off of social media for a full year. Achieved my goal of getting back getting back into the NBA. And honestly, after doing it, I felt no need to get like I that addiction to Instagram and Twitter. It was gone. And now I got back on Instagram and I'm addicted again. And I'm like I can't (laughs) I can't get off. But Twitter Twitter is the one thing that I've remained I've remained off of. And again. So I, I'll side with you on this. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And I understand it's hard to deal with the, it just, when he said the great fan base, LOL, that's what like, to me, that's Killer. what hurt yeah. because, yeah. because these Michigan fans are some of the best in the entire world. And for him to say that so quickly, when I'm like, dude, you're, you're, you're a bubble team right now. Maybe not even a bubble team. What do you expect people to say to you right now? You expect them to say, great job, man. You're doing fantastic. Like people are going to be real with you and you need to be willing to accept that. So um, again, learning moment for him. He'll grow, he'll grow from it, uh, hopefully. And, you know, if anything, use it as fuel to the fire. Use those tweets and people talking smack as fuel to the fire to go out and prove them wrong. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, even below that tweet, there's a lot of support for him, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just how you accept it. And, you know, as long as you can view those people as just idiots who want attention, then you can just deal with them appropriately. Like, I mean, to me, like they were like just little children just screaming for attention. I always think back to one of the funniest tweets maybe in the history of Twitter and NBA Twitter, at least was uh, that woman that tweeted at CJ McCollum to win a playoff game. And he said, I'm trying Jennifer. And then yeah. just left it. At that. And you know that that didn't bother him because like, yeah, like fans are going to say that because we haven't won a playoff game and I'm trying. Like there's real no discussion here, but it was a funny like, I, I hear you, uh, but yeah, okay, fine. And so if you can get the social media, it's just a slippery slope. I mean, you see it, there's a, we could talk for, it's a, it's hours and hours of discussion. And I mean, sociology studies are being, are being done about it, like how it affects kids. And especially when your limelight is so bright at a big 10 school and this is your first experience with it. Like you really got to learn how to manage it. I don't think they, they, they taught us, and this was, this isn't on beeline or a stat because we were kind of in the beginning stages of a lot of this stuff. Now Facebook was out, but they, uh, 
they taught us what not to say, right? Your media training is right. what not to say is what it comes down to, which sucked, honestly. You know, I could shed some of that when I got older as a senior and got more comfortable with what I was saying, but there's not as much, and maybe there are. I'd be curious to talk within the program with uh, a guy, BT, Brian Towns, and see what, you know, what they're doing for the program and for, you know, student athletes all across the country in terms of dealing with negativity on social media uh, and how to manage it. And it's even changed, the ball game's even changed even more now with NIL and social media um, with endorsement deals that you can get on social media. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough subject, but something that is super important for every kid and especially for athletes. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that evolves. I really don't want him transferring. I don't want another Frankie Collins situation. Like I would love to see Doug as the point guard you know, until he goes pro or graduates, like one or the other, that would be amazing to see. I think he's a great player, person, fit, personality, mm -hmm. just mentality, all of that. And this stuff will taint your experience with a fandom. So I hope someone's talking to him like, listen, this, you know, not just chastising him, but, you know, telling him it's really not that serious. And this isn't the majority. And look at the, the supportive tweet. You got even more after you tweeted that and you know, you got to go to you first, you got to deal with you first. You got to take responsibility for you first. Like, Oh yeah, I did play crappy. You know, that's fine. I'm going to get some tweets there. You got to expect it a little bit at times. Um, Cause if you don't take responsibility yourself then like, then you're just SOL, right? You're then you're just going to lose and then everything's going to get worse and worse and worse. So, but yeah. it's a, it's a tough subject for sure. Yeah. And again, yeah, we're all we're all human at the end of the day. And and you've seen it again, like you mentioned with Kevin Durant, like at the highest level, guys, at the end of the day, everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants people to like them. Yep. And whether and whether you say, I don't care what anyone thinks about me, like that's that's BS. Everyone at the end of the day wants to be it's just human nature. You want to be liked by other people. So it yeah. takes time and practice oh. to grow that thicker skin and and not let it get to you um but again like we said we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and they to their credit they did you know michigan di did bounce back they you know they went on to beat minnesota but it just it didn't for me it didn't feel like much of a victory because i think minnesota is a pretty bad team and michigan somewhat eked out a a, a win against them um and again, I, for me, it just it feels like this team is just stuck in neutral, um, where you know they're they're winning, they're barely winning the games they should win, and they're in the games that they need to win to help their you know status come tournament time. They're underwhelming in all those games, and so um, you know it's it's a tough place. It's a tough place to be yeah. at this point. They're in desperate. They're in desperate need of of something to change, a, a spark to happen. And I thought the Central Michigan game was going to be that spark for them, and it was for a little bit. But it, it just feels like things are are complacent now. I don't know if you if you feel the same way after you know watching the last two games. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I want to get into some X's and O stuff because like things have changed even from that game, and I think they're still trying to figure themselves out. But I need to say this, and I wholeheartedly believe it. The most sensitive athlete that maybe we have ever seen, especially in basketball, is Michael Jordan. Far and away, he was the most sensitive mm -hmm. ba basketball player. You, you see, he everything he's always slighted. Nothing's ever good enough for him. 
if he would have social media, he would it would have been it would have been Kevin Durant steroids. Like it's not it doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Now, Michael Jordan's you know maybe not the best mental headspace you know as a as a uh, um, role model per se, but in terms of like turning it into wins and fuel, you can do it. Um, but everyone's sensitive. Like even the tough guys, they're the, they're the most sensitive. You know, it's so funny. The '90s basketball. I, I could talk about this forever. '90s basketball, right? You get in a fight. The guys that get in a fight that are like supposed to be like tough guys, they're the most sensitive. They're the most reactive. They're sensitive mm-hmm. to trash talk, to physicality. Like you're not supposed to bump them. It's so it, it, you know toughness and sensitivity are conflated together uh, wrongfully. I think, but anyways, it, it happens. We're all human. It's going to happen. I think, you know, if it continues to be a problem for Doug, then, yeah, he's got to look into it. But um, def- to your point, definitely not the mentality you want. Don't make it bigger than what it is. But, you know, we'll give him some time to learn it. I want to get into the X's and O's about what they're doing. And I was curious, watching this game, I don't think I've ever seen this. In all my years of basketball, and I'm probably wrong, but we talk about them breaking down um, a zone defense. And they've been kind of passing around, passing around. They started doing this 2-1-2. It was two guards out top, just kind of like how Beeline had, out kind of the volleyball line. And then they sent Ter- – this is at the end of the game specifically against Minnesota. They sent Terrence in the middle, and then they had Hunter and Terrence, Twin Towers, down on the block slash dunker spots. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. And it worked pretty well. To be honest with you, they should have scored – there's two times Terrence didn't score a layup that would have closed out the game. It would have been like great execution against the zone to close out a game. and He just missed some layups and then got fouled and missed some free throws. But – I've never seen that before. I can't believe I'm being shocked by never seeing that. Have you ever seen that? I don't think I have either, no. And I've played with Twin Towers before. And still, yet, that's not like the normal zone breakdown. But I didn't mind it. It was it was better than the other stuff. Well, I mean, the other – I feel like the other, uh, the other offense they were running, it was just pretty much Michigan's perimeter players – having to take a, a end of the shot clock perimeter jumper. And they've, they've been absolutely broke the last couple of games from three. I think the Minnesota game where they were two for 14 and, and Doug was the only guy who made like Doug made both the threes from that game. Um, yeah. And again, it doesn't, doesn't help that the jet was out, you know, against the, against Minnesota as well. But um, yeah, I mean that, Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna agree with you on that one. There, uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen that one before. I'm not really sure if that should be like the norm, the go-to uh, offense moving forward. I feel like there's got to be some easier, you know, more traditional sets you can run against a zone. But at the end of the day, against a zone defense, you got to be able to knock down shots. If you're not, if you don't have guys from the perimeter that can knock down shots and make a defender pay for being one second too late on a closeout then the zone will continue to work. You know, that's just, that's the reality yeah. of the situation. So, um, you know, just the last couple of games with, 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 their, with, with their shooting struggles, I feel like that's, that's even more incentive for teams to go zone, load up against Hunter and make people shoot from the perimeter. Um, you got to put stress on a zone, like just like a man defense. You can't, there was a clip at the end of the game, again, Minnesota, and when they were doing well against the zone and there was like a semi break, Kobe caught it on the right wing closer to the corner and just took it to the baseline. And like zone was not set up, got a floater. It was a huge bucket, huge to help win the game. It's like stuff like that. Like 
go be basketball players. Like, just go move. When in doubt, it's, you know, it's a tough spot for young guards to be in where they want to listen to everything their coaches are saying. But I remember, you know, being really early on, zones, I always took zones as just a complete slap in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, junior and senior year, you know, I didn't need anybody telling me what to do against the zone. It was like, all right, we're just going to move the ball. Every time I touched it, I was going to move it or I was going to attack or something. Like I was in, you know, in attack mode, triple threat, right? The fundamentals of basketball, triple threat stance. And Beeline mm-hmm. taught that stuff. But so many times they're at the, they're at the basket, they're like 30 feet from the basket, holding the ball, dribbling and Doug's, you know, looking understandably like, all right, what are we going to do? What are we get? Let's run it. Just be basketball players. That's what the zone does, right? It's supposed to stunt talent, and it's exactly what they're doing with this team. They real, mm-hmm. I think they do realize, like, all right, we can break this down in unique ways. Like, we can cut into the paint. Terrence can go in there and make plays, get a huge layup at the end. Um, you know, Doug can still – Doug and, and Kobe can still get into the paint, attack the guards, stuff like that. But there are some certain sets that I always love to go against a zone that, like, you could get shots for Jet real easy. Like there's always like these unique gray areas, right? Where it's like between the wing and the guard, and you set like kind of a weird pin down from the from the corner to the elbow, and then the guy on top is going towards the wing, like stuff like that, where they're just kind of handcuffed a little bit, I think, with their inexperience. But they do. I mean, they're just going to keep seeing it. I'm curious to see what Purdue does. I don't think they Purdue necessarily has to do it because they've been playing tough defense. They're just going to be like who they are, like Virginia, but. They're going to keep seeing it, and if they can't break it, like they're just going to have these low-scoring games again. Yeah. Well, and another thing is the zone defense too. You know, you 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 need a a lot of times it's effective to have a baseline runner so that when the ball is rotated from one side to the other, you can we over- taught, yeah. you know you can overload one side, and now you know if you're if you're that corner defender, now you have multiple guys that you need to close out close out to, and you can't just guard as you know guard your area anymore. Um, so that's, that's an effective thing. And then also against a zone defense, you, you, you can still use ball screens, especially at the top. You can still use a ball screen to create some kind of penetration into the paint. Um, because if you're just swinging the ball around at the top of the key, you're really not, you're, you're not going to generate any offense that way. The, the zone right. defense has, you know, barely has to work. And another thing I want to say Against Minnesota, one of the one of the adjustments I noticed, I think the first time they played against Minnesota, um, I think Minnesota was on ball screens. They were hard showing, and I think Michigan picked them apart pretty well that game. I think that was Doug's first game taking over as as the starting um, starting point guard. I, I thought he played really well in that game, but this game when they did use ball screens, I felt like Minnesota was just going under. They were yeah. going under everything. And one thing that I, I don't think Michigan does enough of, and it's easy, easy opportunity to make teams pay for going under. Well, one, if their teams are going under, you got to be able to shoot. You got to be able to stop behind and, and knock down shots. You got to make them respect you. But if you're not going to do that, at least have a big set of rescreen. And it's an easy way that if a guy goes under, you set a rescreen and you come back to that, that original direction. And bam, now you're going to be able to create some kind of momentum or, you know, a half step in front of your defender going downhill. Um, and, that, and that's all you need. You need to create a little bit of separation so that the zone actually has to work. Uh, so 
you know, hopefully those are things that they can implement. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're any team playing against Michigan now, especially with Jet potentially being out, yeah, load up on Hunter, load up on Hunter, you know, limit his post touches with the zone defense and then make perimeter players beat you with, with shooting. So the zone makes perfect sense for every team uh, until they prove, until they prove them, you know, otherwise. Yeah. I mean, two for 14 from three teams are going to keep going under jets out. That's literally all they're going to do the entire time. And it's a big, it's a ball screen heavy offense when, you know, when they get, when they don't know what to run or they kind of get discombobulated and then there's 15 seconds left, they're pulling it out and running, you know, they're trying to post up or they're running a ball screen. So they got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. We used to do it with Darius Morris all the time. Uh, Darius wasn't comfortable shooting the three off the dribble and teams were going under now Darius six, four, so, you know, it was like Jay Kidd out there instead of Doug, who doesn't see as well as a Darius would just because, you know, he's shorter. But they would go under. Bam. Let's say they're guarding Darius at three-point line. They would go under. You make the big – you have to be strategic about it. Make them loop even more than normal. Don't let them just slip past you. Now they're about the free throw line. Just reverse back as a ball handler. Big man just literally just turns around and sets a really great screen. If they go under that, shoot a 15-footer. You should be able to make that six to ten times. And there you go. There's efficient offense. But then if they go over and that big man has to, you know, is caught in no man's land, then you can play a two-man game with some open stuff there. But that takes practice, um, and that takes some good execution, Hunter setting good screens and them being um, in unison with that because you can't just expect the under and then Hunter's rolling or the big man – is expecting the rescreen and then the guard just like tries to attack off of it. So you have to be able to prep for that. So it'll be, I'm curious to see how they come out without jet um, and the ball screen defense. I think it'll be particularly interesting. Well, we'll get into that a little bit moving forward. We'll get into the scouting report here in a minute, but um, we'll talk about ball screen stuff, but yeah, that's, that's keys. Like they still, they have to be efficient on the offensive end. They've lost some of that efficiency and I think because they aren't hitting shots, right? You, you hit shots, your offense looks good. You don't hit shots, your offense doesn't look great. So they're kind of a make-or-miss team right now in that sense. And, you know, obviously you want to keep improving execution-wise. And they've done some good stuff here and there. But what I want to say with the Twin Tower stuff, they're still, like, figuring themselves out. Like, even that, that Central Michigan game was, like, a wake-up wake call. But then they've gone to the Twin Tower lineup and Will Cheddar's playing more, and now they want to play Joey at the three some more. Like, there's just no flow, I think, for anybody. And funny enough, in the last two games, Hunter has been the one to carry this team, and he's been back to above average scoring and efficiency-wise and rebounding. And then no one else has filled in the other cracks, right? And, you know, a few games ago, it was kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just haven't quite gotten there yet to put it all together and it's that's the frustrating part because it would be easy to say like okay like they're doing all right but this team has the talent they have really good talent they got talent just just kind of still figuring it out and so we expect them i think you and me in particular like watching them to figure it out like the answers are right there but now they've got like new lineups that they're playing and guys are playing more minutes so they're trying to get comfortable like terrace is still uncomfortable you see it with some missed layups and some balls go off his hands and I'm not blaming him, right? It's it's a big it's a big role that he's trying to play, and they're they're thrusting him in there. Um, and he's done good. Like you know, he'll go for like a hammer dunk, and he has a lob threat, make a big play, and then next play will just be a missed layup, right, to close the game out against Minnesota. So 
you know, you have no time left for the NCAA. And so you're kind of in a tough spot. You're like, all right, I kind of understand the, the heat that they're feeling, but also we're running out of time here. I think it just comes down to big performances. I think Hunter's is going to kind of have to carry them across the line, similar to how he did last year. Um, but, you know, they're a make or miss team. And I, I think it's going to come down to some big, gutsy performances, individual, kind of like how Jet had at Iowa, even though they came up short. You know, there's going to just be some flaws there. I think that will continue for the end of the year with execution and defense and just learning the game of basketball um, as one unit that, you know, still trying to figure themselves out of who they are. So it's going to take a little bit of heroics. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but, you know, you got to have guys step up. Um, it's it's kind of it's go time right now for that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that kind of leads us into, you know, the scouting report looking forward. Yeah, with Jet, with the uncertainty now of, of, of where Jet is, it kind of, you know, with his ankle, it kind of, it, it has, it, you know, it leaves them with a huge hole with their, with their offense. You know, when, when, when teams have been limiting Hunter's touches down low or, you know, Hunter's been having games where he hasn't quite been himself – it's often been Jet that has been super consistent and steady on the offensive end with shot making ability, um, just yep. generating offense. He's one of the only. I think he might be the only guy on this team that can confidently say you can give him the ball from the perimeter and he will create something on his own. You take him away, and you know you say big performances. That puts a lot of pressure on specifically Kobe, Doug, and Hunter to just have big performances every single night. And they haven't shown that they're capable of doing that on a nightly basis yet. So that's what makes me feel not so not so confident moving forward. Which is tough. Like, the, I, we shouldn't expect them to do that, right? You, we've, you've been there where you're taking this step up after getting that experience under your belt. It takes time to figure that stuff out. And they're just kind of thrust into that role. Um. I don't want to look forward to next year. I definitely don't. But, you know, I don't know. It's it, it wasn't it's getting a little bleaker, but I, I still have I still have confidence that this team is can figure it out. But let's um let's get in to the rest of their schedule um in the next couple of games. Let's uh let's break down the scouting report. So the big one, you know, they got Purdue and Penn State coming up. They got Purdue. Uh, January 26th, Penn State 29th. We don't know what Jets' injury is, but Purdue is number one in the nation. I'm still a hater. I, I don't believe in Purdue. I don't know why. I mean, I think they they have a really sound quality team. I just think they're very beatable, and there's a lot of things that haven't been exploited with this team. And right now I think ED just kind of covers up a lot of that. I think this is a game where they play, Purdue plays slow enough and they've had some close games. They barely just beat Maryland. I think there's still a game that like Michigan can win uh, at home and they play slow. Purdue's kind of up and down. If you can somehow neutralize Edie, if if Hunter can one, I think these are my these are my keys, right? For this Purdue game. Neutralize Edie uh, on the boards. Like Hunter's got to be aggressive on defense and not foul. And they have yeah. to gang rebound on everything. So they got to not just let him get easy buckets. Like make him shoot 10-foot hook shots all game. If he makes those, fine. I'm fine with that. 
but then you got to draw them out. Like on the other side of things, I think Hunter, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking when I say this, I could see Hunter taking eight threes. Like if you're going to be able to do that and draw him out, I don't see, I mean, I'm curious to see if Hunter can take him one-on-one in the post. I think he can. He gets his right shoulder into him. He's tall enough, big enough, skilled enough to get that little left hook. Um, but he's stepped it up on both ends of the floor. He's not the same player he was last year. I think Hunter had some really good games against Purdue, um, and he was hitting threes. But I think that's going to be a big key is can Hunter space ED out, open up the court in that sense, not only from just making threes, but opening up for Kobe Buffkin to drive. Like, I don't I don't know. Maybe Morton can shut down Kobe from getting into the paint. Morton's a big guy, and he's been a good defender. But I still think, like, Lawyer and, and Smith – you know, they're good and they're, they're, they're disciplined, but I think you can attack them if Edie's not in the paint. I mean, that's just like you see that and you don't even want to think about dribbling the basketball. So I think those are, those are a couple of my keys on both ends. I don't know, I don't know if you're still uh, positive going into this game against Purdue. Well, I think they all year they've been a team where we've said they can lose to any team and then they can also beat yeah. any team because they, yeah. they really do play – up or down to the level of their competition. So I'm a little positive from that sense, but also looking forward if Jet's not playing or if he's hurt. Now, my, well, my question is what, what makes most sense in terms of your main lineup? Like, are you, are you thinking Twin Towers? Are you putting Terrace and Hunter out there together? Or are you putting Joe, are you putting Joey for you know for shooting purposes and for the majority Cheddar's of those minutes? In more minutes. I mean, it's been he's That's been playing more and more. Is. And I think he still has a lot to learn, but he gives a lot of energy and he can hit a three. I I think both. I'm fine with some equal minutes. I don't know if you want to go again. I said it last episode, two episodes ago. I don't, I don't, not all for 25 minutes of Terrace and Hunter. I just don't see it. I think Caleb first for Purdue, their four man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would think you'd rather want Will out there to match some energy and make sure you're in help side to rebound. Um, Cause even with Twin Towers out there, they're still getting up a lot of offensive rebounds. So I, I think Will and, and Joey still deserve minutes. I want to see Joey, and he will. Jet is probably out for this game. And Joe is going to have to play the three. Um, they'll play Terrence at the three some, like they did against Minnesota. They're they're going to do that. That was a good option for them, you know. But the, like <laughs> again, go back. They're still trying to figure out who they are now. Injury obviously doesn't help with Jet out, but I think you got to play Joey and Will, and I think you have to space the court um, to get Edie out in a lot of different ways. And one of them is to play Joey because he's your biggest three point threat. I mean, I know he's been up and down with some of his stuff. People keep throwing his percentages at me. I'm getting tired of this from hearing people talk about Joey Baker and his percentages. The dude is a is a gunner and he spaces the floor. He has gravity. Like there's a game if he was allowed, like he would hit six threes. Like if he if he were able to get up like 10 threes in a game, I really do think that he has that ability and it just hasn't been pieced together yet. Um it's the same way like we watched Kobe. Like you could tell the talent was there. It just wasn't being pieced together. And then he started to really piece it together. But I think you still I don't I don't think you go Terrace and Hunter for 30 minutes. Yeah, they've I mean they've been doing a little bit here and there, but I I'm interested to see they've been so up they've been throwing so many different lineups together that that's my biggest question moving forward is like, you know, if, if Jets out, what's your what's the starting lineup gonna look like and what's the 
lineup going to look like to close out the games? And I think it's going to be one of those situations where on a night-to-night basis it's going to change based on who's got the hot hand, who's playing well. Because, again, yeah, if, if you have a game where Joey's hitting three, four, five, six threes and he's got it going, you you want to play him 30-plus. If he's coming out and missing his first three or four shots, you know, you're probably going to want to go with someone else and not play Joey for 30 minutes. So, um, again, and, and offensive rebounding has continued. You know, Michigan has not been able to rebound on misses. And so – that, that for me, that's the only positive of, of having the Twin Towers out there uh, is, is a little bit of relief on the rebounding side of things and not giving up second chance points because that has been one of the biggest issues for them. I believe, they were, I believe they're last in the Big Ten. That's what we were told in, in second chance points and offensive rebounding percentages. So yeah. um, that could be the one positive. But again, offensively, I think playing the Twin Tower, playing Terrace and Hunter together, it, it's – maybe not going to be the most effective. No, and and I if you're let's say you're concerned about Joey's defense, all right, from a three-man shot. Ethan Morton is out there for Purdue and he plays more than 25 minutes a game, sometimes 36 minutes a game. These are his stats in the last few games, okay? 4 points, 3 points, 0 points, 3 points, 0 points, 10 points, 2 points, 1 point. He's not an offensive threat. You can literally just let him out there let Joey just play and help side. Don't give up a layup or an offensive rebound to Ethan Morton. And then you can go down the other end of the court, keep that spacing similar to what Jet had. Um, you know, I think even if he's, I mean, maybe if he goes 0 for 5 or 6, you know, maybe, you know, get him in and out. But I don't think you have to play him 35 minutes. But I, I still think that the spacing is going to be huge because otherwise you got Terrace and Terrence isn't aggressive from the, from the three point line. And Hunter isn't shooting well. Like that paint is clogged by Purdue defenders, and that's exactly what they want. I mean, that's exactly what they want. They'll, they'll hold you to forty-five points. They don't care. I mean, you'll just play right into their hands. So I think it kind of forces Michigan's hand to play Joey a lot more this game. I mean, I'm an advocate for it, and Will maybe Will plays more and, and shoots some more threes from the four spot. Um, yeah, but that lineup, that starting lineup will be interesting. I think it'll be, I think it will be Joey. I think you start Terrence at the four. I mean, Caleb first is a big guy. I think he's 6'10, 6'11. So I could definitely see Terrence in there, move Terrence to the three, him guard Ethan. So I don't know. It's going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be pretty ugly. I think both teams are kind of up and down shooting wise. If Kobe can stay attached to Lawyer, not let him get off the three-point. This kid just wants to jack threes. He does not want a mid-range shot. He does not want to really get to the rim. He wants to put up threes. And if you let him get going, he'll kill you. It'll be like a Sanford for Iowa. And I think Kobe learned his lesson with Sanford. Um, we'll see how they guard Edie. If they want to double, if Hunter gets in fouls. This is all predicated on a lot of different things that you know happens in real time. But I think they match up pretty well if they play solid and if Edie just doesn't score go 10 for 10 to start the game playing one-on-one so there's a lot of what ifs there but i just i don't know i'm i'm not when you when you play in the 50s you always have a shot right purdue does not score a lot of points so you always have a shot against this team i think yeah i think i again i think there's a chance but my my bold my bold prediction is that if jet if jet is out 
you know, both games this week, I, I, I think they're, you know, I, I think That's they're done. done. That's, <laughs> yeah, I, I think. I think their season might be coming to an end if 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 that's the case. It just I, unless someone starts magically putting together huge performances and playing out of their minds, I just don't see how they're going to win games without Jack. He was bringing so much offensively to them, and now it just puts so much pressure on Hunter. And you know, like God forbid, Hunter gets in foul trouble against Purdue. It's like they're they're done. They got nothing. They got nothing. They got no chance. So yeah. I'm I'm hopeful for them, but at the same time, this this jet injury for me is is a tough one. Where I'm like, ah, I don't know, I don't know how it's looking for them. But this is yeah, this is for them. It, it's a must. It's a must win for them. I think if they want any chance at winning the tournament, I think both games this week are must wins. We got Purdue. Uh, they need a big win at Penn State. Then after that, at Northwestern, not easy. I mean, Northwestern's experience. They got enough guys to beat you, especially at home, because that's the home court advantage. Ohio State, they've been up and down, but talented. Um, IU, I think you could beat them pretty easily at home. Michigan State, not easy. At Rutgers, not easy. Uh, at Wisconsin, not easy. At Illinois, not easy. At Indiana to end the year. Like, they got a tough schedule coming up. They've had their easiest schedule so far in the first half. Um, yeah, so it, it'll be tough, but – We'll see. It'll be kind of a reevaluating thing day to day. Like you, I think we've tried to, we thought that they had the blueprint down and then they kind of switched it up again. They tinkered a little bit and not to their, not like faulting them for it, but I think every game is like a reevaluation, right? You just don't know. We're trying to put this team into a pattern, but it's, it's so up and down that I think we just kind of had to let them ride and, take it for what it is and not judge them too harshly, but it's uh, not looking super pretty with a lot of things. And I hope maybe you do just slow it down, right? You slow those possessions down and you grind it to a halt and you say, all right, the only thing we're going to get is if we're close in the sixties and we just keep possessions down for the other team, right? We don't give up offensive rebounds. We slow our offense down and we don't turn it over and we just see if we shoot well and can execute on offense. Um, which sucks because this is a talented team, but there's decisions to be made there. I don't think they'll do it because that's not Juwan's style, right? He's like, all right, I play basketball. Like, I I was around the NBA for X amount of years. You got to be plug and play, right? Terrence, go play the three and figure it out. Go in the high post and make some plays. And he did, to his credit. But I think that's kind of the mentality they've had. And um, I don't fault him for it in terms of, like, building a program, but it's definitely been hard – uh, it's just hard on any young guy and any team with, you know, three, one, two, and three spot who are really in their first year of big time experience. So I don't know. I will see what they do on Thursday. It's going to be a crapshoot, but it's going to be, I think it's going to come down to big time. Hunter and Edie's not had the best time against his uh, marquee matchups with other big men this year. And I think he's, I think he's salivating a little bit. I don't know what the stat is. I have a brother in law who is a big Purdue fan. And he's like, I swear, this is last year. He's like, I, he, he's so annoyed that Hunter, he's like, I swear, Hunter only hits threes against Purdue. That is it. Only against Purdue. And he was doing the uh, three celebration that he did all year last year. It was way more like um, demonstrative last year. So it was pissing it, all the other fan bases off. And I think I looked it up. I think he hit like 14 threes last year and literally seven of them were against Purdue. Some, something crazy wow. like that. So he's going to do it again because he, you see it when he plays other big men 
that like he doesn't want to tussle it all the time. Like, all right, I'm gonna space this guy out. And I think it's good if he's gonna hit threes. Like he looked good against Maryland doing it. Um, hit three threes in that game. So you, you know he's capable. He shot really well from the free throw line against Minnesota. So I think he's maybe feeling his touch a little bit. So I'm hoping that can translate into some threes. They're going to need about three or four from him, though. No doubt. And that is the one luxury of Hunter is he 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 does give you best, best of both worlds. You can throw it down on the block and he can bang bodies down there. But he's also, you know, he's also a threat from the perimeter. So if there's ever a time for him to knock down three or four threes, per, you know, Let's do it against Purdue because this is this is kind of do or die for this team. All right, let's finish this episode up. Let's get to our last segment, Word on Campus. So a couple things, Word on Campus. One's Jets injury, obviously. Um, we've been talking about it. We don't know the severity of it. I think Hunter's podcast guys came out and – what Hunter wasn't on the podcast, but they like a t- guy texted him. One of his co-hosts texted him, and he said, "Is it bad?" And Hunter was like, "Just a normal ankle sprain. You don't know what it is." I, I mean, I can't imagine him playing against Purdue or being anywhere close enough to being seventy-five percent good enough to play at all, or even be out there as a body. You've had enough ankle injuries. I've had plenty that have torched my ankles. Like, you need more than a week if if you're not playing the rest of the game, then. It's, Probably not going to be, you know, within the week that you're playing again. Maybe we'll see Penn State. Who knows? It could be a miraculous um, comeback. I can't remember. Was it Willis Reed was the walked out of the Mm -hmm. Square Garden tunnel? And yes, one of those performances, uh, they could could use it. But, you know, I I wouldn't expect him to play or I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk any trash if he were to miss. Those things get real serious and, you just be a detriment if you're trying to be out there hurt, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I've last year in particular, I dealt with some with some nasty ankle sprains in my right ankle. I think I've rolled it about like 10 different times. The last two or three have been really serious. And it's just one of those things. Like for me, my last ankle sprain took me it took me a full month to to actually play again. And even then it was still swollen, still bothering me. Um, so let's, let's hope it's not that bad because, you know, I think, I think this team's destiny depends on jet being available, not only available, but semi-healthy and aggressive offensively. So, yeah. um, I'm hoping for everyone's sake that, that he's, he's okay. Yeah. I got my ankle injuries, my right leg high school out six weeks. It was so bad. My I was in a boot for so long, my calf muscle atrophied, and it's still smaller than my left one. It still pisses me off. And then the left one, I've rolled so many times that, like, a ligament is displaced, and you can, like, bend my ankle, and basically, like, it, there's, like, it looks like there's, like, this huge hole in it where the skin kind of just goes all the way into the bone. And, like, I'm like, yeah, I could probably use some surgery here, but I'm not really getting the uh, resources overseas that I might in the NBA to fix that stuff. So I just kind of went along with yeah. it, and now it's all right. But we'll – uh. We'll see um, what the report comes out. I'm sure they'll be hush-hush. They've kind of been hush-hush on these things. I don't think Juwan likes to be super transparent on all this stuff, so we'll see. Um, the last part we want to wrap up with is just overall Big Ten, Big Ten play and how Michigan can get quality wins. It's kind of a pro and con situation. It's a good and bad thing that they can get a lot of wins, but there's not a lot of great resume builders here besides Purdue. Like IU has taken a dive. Michigan State has taken a dive. 
Um, Wisconsin's fine, but they've overachieved. They're not like super great in the eyes of the committee. I don't think Rutgers has just fell out of the top 25. Ohio state's gone on a skid. They fell out of the top 25. It's just not looked good. And usually like the big 10 beats each other up and they all get quality one, uh, like Q1 wins, all quality wins, right. That you just kind of rack up by beating each other. And this year it's like, uh, this, this doesn't look good. Like, I think that the conference is just in such a bad spot that you could win 20 games and still miss the tournament because no one really cares that you're beating other Big Ten teams right now. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's again, like you said, it's a tough position to be in just because uh, in one sense it feels like they're always in it for the Big Ten championship because the race yeah. is I feel pretty even between so many different teams. So you're positive from that point of view, but then – you know, from the resume standpoint, it's it's tough because, you know, even if they do win some games here, how much are those games going to mean come March? You know, when it's time to look at their resume and see their quality wins. I mean, I don't that they really have no quality wins right now, in my opinion. But even no if they win a couple of these, even if they win a couple of these, it's you know, well, how much is that really going to you know, what's it going to stand for at the end of the day? And that's why I think that, again, this Purdue game, it's. It's a must win in my books. It's it's a must win and a, a prayer at like some sort of a turnaround of the season, um, because yeah, it's 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 a tough road ahead. Um, you know, especially this team hasn't been playing well on the road, um, so you know they're they're going to need to find a, any win they can against a team above five hundred. I feel like is going to be important for them. Yeah, let's say – I mean, they're 5-3 and three right now in the Big Ten, tied for second with Rutgers. Let's say they finish Which is out. In, in, by the way, tied for second. It's absolutely insane that we're they're tied for second because this the, when you watch this team, it does not it does not feel like that at all, not even close. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll have to match their win percentage. They'll have to be even better than they are right now, and they're second in the Big Ten, I think, to make the tournament. Now, it depends on the mm-hmm. Big Ten tournament if they can get some wins there. You definitely need one in the Big Ten tournament. Probably need two. Um, even with like 18, 19, 20 wins, I think you still need to win out there. But like even if they're at this pace and finish second, like they could still – they're still at risk of not making the tournament. So the Big Ten right. – I mean, I watched it, man. I went I went to – I actually had to miss the – watching the Michigan game live because um, I went to the IU – the Michigan State game at IU, and it was – it was ugly. I mean, it was horrible basketball. IU was boring as hell. They ran the same offense over and over and over. Trace Jackson Davis travels every time he catches in the post and sweeps it. It's the wildest thing. Uh, I'll give Hutch Shafino the benefit of the doubt. I think he was a little hurt. I think his back was hurt, and he's a really talented player. But Michigan State looked terrible. And I was like, how does anybody lose to this team? Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been ugly all around. So even if they do win out, it's not um, – they're just not in a good situation overall, uh, even with things they can't control. So we'll see. Next couple of games coming up. They got Purdue and Penn State. We'll we'll come back and evaluate that. Um, we tried to get Spike on this week to talk Purdue. We might be able to get him on next time, talk a little bit of Purdue, talk a little bit of his story. You know, I appreciate you guys. I asked for questions. You guys sent me a lot of good questions. I had them teed up ready for Spike. They're going to be a lot of fun. Um, a lot of unique questions which was, which was fun. Usually you get the same old stuff, but this was unique. So hopefully we can have him back and figure that out with the schedule 
uh, put that out there and get those questions out to them. But we appreciate you guys listening and find us on YouTube. It's at and on, on Twitter, um, um, Instagram at uh, Beyond the Big 10, 10, 10 So at Beyond the Big 10, 10 10 on all social media channels. Um, you know, like with the spike thing, you can ask us any questions, tweet at us. Well, tweet at me or the, uh, we learned that Nick doesn't have a Twitter anymore because of mental health. Very smart man. But on Instagram as well um, and on YouTube, we'll we read the comments. So we're going to start incorporating some of that stuff. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back next time. And yeah, pray for this team. I'm still hopeful, but we'll see what happens. Appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you. Beyond the Big Ten is a network of podcasts that aims to be your go-to resource for all things Big Ten. We cover the entire conference with shows hosted by ex-players and athletic alumni, aiming to be your go-to source of information and entertainment for your favorite team. Hosted by ex-Big Ten players, media, and insiders, our podcasts are focused on giving diehard fans and those alums an inside scoop about the teams and people that make the Big Ten Conference one of the most watched and most talked about conferences in sports. We're excited to talk Big Ten basketball with you wherever you may be. Subscribe now.